Fion, pronounced Fion to rhyme with tune, got his first training among women. There is no wonder in that, for it is the pup's mother teaches it to fight, and women know that fighting is a necessary art, although men pretend there are others that are better. These were the women druids, Bavmal and Lialuakra. It will be wondered why his own mother did not train him in the first natural savageries of existence, but she could not do it. She could not keep him with her for dread of the clan Morna. The sons of Morna had been fighting and intriguing for a long time to oust her husband, Yul, from the captaincy of the Fianna of Ireland, and they had ousted him at last by killing him. It was the only way they could get rid of such a man, but it was not an easy way, for what Fion's father did not know in arms could not be taught to him even by Morna. Still, the hound that can wait will catch a hare at last, and even Mignonalinen sleeps. Fion's mother was beautiful, long-haired Morn, so she is always referred to. She was the daughter of Teague, the son of Nuada from Faerie, and her mother was Ethlyn. That is, her brother was Luff of the Long Hand himself, and with a god, and such a god, for brother we may marvel that she could have been in dread of Morna, or his sons, or of any one. But women have strange loves, strange fears, and these are so bound up with one another that the thing which is presented to us is not often the thing that is to be seen. However it may be, when Yule died Morn got married again to the king of Kerry. She gave the child to Bavmal and Lialuakra to rear, and we may be sure that she gave injunctions with him, and many of them. The youngster was brought to the woods of Sleeve Bloom, and was nursed there in secret. It is likely the women were fond of him, for other than Fion there was no life about them. He would be their life, and their eyes may have seemed as twin benedictions resting on the small fair head. He was fair-haired, and it was for his fairness that he was afterwards called Fion, but at this period he was known as Dame. They saw the food they put into his little frame reproduce itself lengthways and sideways in tough inches, and in springs and energies that crawled at first, and then toddled, and then ran. He had birds for playmates, but all the creatures that live in a wood must have been his comrades. There would have been for little Fion long hours of lonely sunshine, when the world seemed just sunshine and a sky. There would have been hours as long, when existence passed like a shade among shadows, in the multitudinous tappings of rain that dripped from leaf to leaf in the wood, and slipped so to the ground. He would have known little snaky paths, narrow enough to be filled by his own small feet, or a goat's, and he would have wondered where they went, and have marveled again to find that, wherever they went, they came at last, through loops and twists of the branchy wood, to his own door. He may have thought of his own door as the beginning and end of the world, whence all things went, and whither all things came. Perhaps he did not see the lark for a long time, but he would have heard him, far out of sight in the endless sky, thrilling and thrilling until the world seemed to have no other sound but that clear sweetness, and what a world it was to make that sound. Whistles and chirps, coos and caws and croaks, would have grown familiar to him. And he could, at last, have told which brother of the great brotherhood was making the noise he heard at any moment. The wind, too, he would have listened to its thousand voices as it moved in all seasons and in all moods. Perhaps a horse would stray into the thick screen about his home, 
and would look as solemnly on Fion as Fion did on it. Or, coming suddenly on him, the horse might stare, all a cock with eyes and ears and nose, one long-drawn facial extension, ere he turned and bounded away with manies all over him and hoofs all under him and tails all round him. A solemn-nosed, stern-eyed cow would amble and stamp in his wood to find a flyless shadow, or a strayed sheep would poke its gentle muzzle through leaves. A boy, he might think, as he stared on the staring horse, a boy cannot wag his tail to keep the flies off, and that lack may have saddened him. He may have thought that a cow can snort and be dignified at the one moment, and that timidity is comely in a sheep. He would have scolded the jackdaw, and tried to outwhistle the throstle, and wondered why his pipe got tired when the blackbirds didn't. There would be flies to be watched, slender atoms in yellow gauze that flew, and filmy specks that flittered, and sturdy, thick-ribbed brutes that pounced like cats, and bit like dogs and flew like lightning. He may have mourned for the spider in bad luck who caught that fly. There would be much to see and remember and compare, and there would be, always, his two guardians. The flies change from second to second, one cannot tell if this bird is a visitor or an inhabitant, and a sheep is just sister to a sheep, but the women were as rooted as the house itself. Were his nurses comely or harsh-looking? Fion would not know. This was the one who picked him up when he fell, and that was the one who patted the bruise. This one said, Mind you do not tumble in the well. And that one, mind the little knees among the nettles. But he did tumble and record that the only notable thing about a well is that it is wet. And as for nettles, if they hit him he hit back. He slashed into them with a stick and brought them low. There was nothing in wells or nettles, only women dreaded them. One patronized women and instructed them and comforted them, for they were afraid about one. They thought that one should not climb a tree. Next week, they said at last, you may climb this one, and next week lived at the end of the world. But the tree that was climbed was not worth while when it had been climbed twice. There was a bigger one nearby. There were trees that no one could climb, with vast shadow on one side and vaster sunshine on the other. It took a long time to walk round them, and you could not see their tops. It was pleasant to stand on a branch that swayed and sprung, and it was good to stare at an impenetrable roof of leaves and then climb into it. How wonderful the loneliness was up there! When he looked down there was an undulating floor of leaves, green and green and greener to a very blackness of greeniness, and when he looked up there were leaves again, green and less green, and not green at all, up to a very snow and blindness of greeniness, and above and below and around there was sway and motion, the whisper of leaf on leaf, and the eternal silence to which one listened and at which one tried to look. When he was six years of age his mother, beautiful, long-haired Morn, came to see him. She came secretly, for she feared the sons of Morna, and she had paced through lonely places in many counties before she reached the hut in the wood, and the cot where he lay with his fists shut and sleep gripped in them. He awakened to be sure. He would have one ear that would catch an unusual voice, one eye that would open, however sleepy the other one was. She took him in her arms and kissed him, 
and she sang a sleepy song until the small boy slept again. We may be sure that the eye that could stay open stayed open that night as long as it could, and that the one ear listened to the sleepy song until the song got too low to be heard, until it was too tender to be felt vibrating along those soft arms, until Fion was asleep again, with a new picture in his little head, and a new notion to ponder on. The mother of himself. His own mother. But when he awakened she was gone. She was going back secretly, in dread of the sons of Morna, slipping through gloomy woods, keeping away from habitations, getting by desolate and lonely ways to her lord and carry. Perhaps it was he that was afraid of the sons of Morna, and perhaps she loved him.